So as you know, if you've been checking with us the last uh, four or five weeks, we're, we're going to spend a season in the Proverbs right now. We're, I, I believe somewhere around 18 to 20 weeks. We're going to spend in the Proverbs um, hearing what wisdom ought to be looking like to our hearts, to our lives in 2010, just north of Boston. Um, so, so far, uh, we've had some intros to what wisdom actually looked like, what knowledge was, and uh, what discipline, what the discipline of the Lord is, what that might look like. And this morning, uh, we're, going to, we're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, well, you heard the, the proverb before, but we're going to talk about knowledge and the gaining of knowledge and uh, even what knowledge in academia looks like in light of the Proverbs, in light of Solomon's wisdom. So that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I know it's pretty exciting stuff. So uh, anyway, we're going to start off uh, just by talking a little bit about Harvard. Okay, so many, of course, all you guys know, Harvard's what, five, six miles from here. I think that's a safe bet. It's five or six miles from here. And it was founded in, in the 1630s. A charter came through in the 1650s. Sometime around that, that time, right around 1650. Uh, but before that, it was just a fledgling Christian school. I know, it's crazy, right? Um, but, but it was just a fledgling Christian school for the longest time. Um, students would get up in the morning at like 7, and they had to be in their instructor's um, office at that time, and they were going to spend time then. And then at 5 p.m., they would be back there, and they would just be spending time in, with their instructors. Um, but, but the neat part of that, and the reason I'm bringing all this stuff up right now, the reason it's coming up is we're talking about academia and Proverbs uh, is really just because it's a good example of, uh, basically of what we're talking about this morning, of, of how knowledge ought to be pursued in a Christian way um, or not. Um, so, so Harvard University was named after John Harvard, and it went by many, uh, several other names previously, not many, but several other names previously. Uh, but upon a generous donation of books and money, uh, it got named after him. Now, interestingly, from a 1643 document, I'm going to read this, but about the purpose of the school. The purpose of the school, the purpose of Harvard, was to, quote, advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the church. So that's from a 1643 brochure that was meant to justify the school. I'm I'm sure it was actually probably trying to do some fundraising for a school that didn't have a whole lot of money um, in in the new colonies. And um, they're... They want to equip ministers was their whole purpose, okay? Um, They were saying, we're doing this so that learning can be advanced. And because we're fearful that if we don't have this school, if we don't have Harvard, the church may actually suffer from ill-equipped ministers and and fully unequipped pastors. So the heart of Harvard at its beginning was, we're going to equip pastors. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn hard, and we're going to equip pastors. Now, additionally... Um, this, this is the standard foundation for learning from back in that day. And this is, again, from official literature from Harvard at that point. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. So that's official purposes of Harvard at that time. But, but you guys can tell me, does that sound like the Harvard of today? No, I see heads shaking. Um, we're not vocal here, so we shake heads though, and that's, that's awesome. 
Um, I take that as agreement, so great, so I'll move forward. Um, But that doesn't sound like Harvard today. That doesn't sound like the school well-known, not only for its academic achievement and elite standards, but also for the size of its endowment, okay? That doesn't sound uh, like the powerful school that's so close to us that has hundreds of professors and thousands of students who likely scorn any idea of the Christian faith. That just doesn't sound like that school. Now, Harvard has abandoned that foundation. I mean, just to put it frankly, has abandoned that foundation. Okay? Let there be no doubt about it. There's a high level of education taking place at Harvard, but it's largely devoid of the gospel at this point. In fact, the Divinity School at Harvard boasts an increasing number of students from other religions like the Divinity School. So if there's one place that's going to hold out, it's going to be the Divinity School, right? That's where you are in the Bible. But, but it's increasingly boasting of, of other places. Now, since the 1700s, all this to say, and I'm not bagging on Harvard, I actually uh, appreciate their, their intellectual achievement and the things that they, that they do there, but I hate that they've abandoned this foundation. So since the 1700s, um, there's been a trending away from these puritanical Christian roots that guided Harvard's first years, Okay. And now it's, it's been left with perhaps the greatest minds in the world, okay, and some of the greatest academic influences of the world that have nothing to do with the gospel. Now, we can only imagine what that place would be like if the gospel had held fast over the centuries since then and the impact across the world. But regardless of Harvard, it's a legitimate question for us to ask. It's a legitimate question of us to ask, of many learning institutions, what are we best known for? Are we best known for, for academics that, that are separate from the gospel? Or are we best known for a Christ-centered education? Are we best known for really getting down to this Proverbs 1-7 that we're going to dive into in a minute that says, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Okay? So, it's a good thing, though, for us to ask these questions of Harvard for, these, for us to ask these questions of many universities across the state, because there's 80 or 90-something of them, okay? I just used Harvard because it was the biggest, most easy um, target, and because they were founded for that purpose. But um, the issue is really for all of us to consider, not just schools, but all of us to consider, what will be our foundation when we're learning, when we're reading, when we're writing, when we're... Change, when we're running our budget, when we're changing the gas, what, or oil, what will be our foundation? Will our alliances regarding edu- education surround the biggest budgets, the most political savvy, the greatest reputations, okay, and the latest scientific evidence? Or will we time and again turn to our Bible and the gospel as the foundation for our knowledge? Now, as I say all of these things, I need you to know that we're not anti-academics here at Seven Mile Road, so don't hear that. Okay, there are quite literally millions of dollars worth of educational investment in this room. Like, seriously, it's hard to tell looking at some people, Derek. But, um, anyway, um, it's there, okay? There's that. There's lots of educational achievement. Okay, we love learning here, but we want to pursue it. We want to be a people that pursue education and learning in a totally Christ-centered manner, in a redeemed manner. Now, it's, it's also hard for me to say... Uh, or to believe this right now, but so I'm going to turn 30 in a few weeks, which that part's not hard to believe. Uh, I'm fine with that. Um, but for the first time in my life, as of last month, I'm actually out of school. So Mariah and I, for those of you that don't know, my wife Mariah and I actually moved here from Arkansas 
uh, not just to get away from Arkansas, but so that I could go to school at Gordon-Conwell and so that I could, achieve, could, could attain a top-level seminary education. That's why we came here. Okay, furthermore, our first child hasn't yet arrived. Okay, she'll be here in September, but I'm already thinking about things that she ought to be learning, okay? Um, this week, I've spent too much time trying to convince Mariah that she should have like, crib bedding that has the Hebrew alphabet on it because she needs to know Hebrew. Um, and I'm actually hoping that there's Greek as well. But so what I'm saying is um, we're not at all anti-education. And I, I'm also looking for systematic theology for infants. So if anybody runs across that, let me know. Beyond that, beyond all that, beyond my own personal uh, problems, our pastors here read broadly and we study hard and, and we know that we need to be wise in the scriptures and in culture, okay? Between us, I mean, if you go to our homes, there's hundreds of books on the shelves We've spent tons of time in them. We've spent tons of time reading, sitting under good teachers. We love education here, but we really do want to do it in a Christ-centered way. Okay, so I'm not here today to pick on and make fun of education. Uh, Instead, we want to figure out how we might can do it best. Now, the other uh, thing that we need to warn against this morning is it's also easy for many of us, like myself, who are no longer in school or who aren't currently involved in some kind of formal education, to check out right now. Like, it would be real easy for me to just go, or for any of us, you know, that aren't going to school, that aren't still paying tuition for ourselves, um, to go, that doesn't have anything to do with me. What? It doesn't have anything to do with me. Uh, But that would be totally wrong. Today's sermon is actually for all of us. It's for us as we learn anything. Whether that anything is how to read or write, or, or how to read or write a technical guide, or how to figure out how to change the brakes on our car. Like, seriously, I don't know that, so I would need a guide, and I could have a Christ-centered way of going after that, okay? So this morning, we're going to be talking about knowledge from God's Word, and this is for each of us. The truth is for each of us. None of us get to turn away from it and expect that it's not going to be true, okay? It's true regardless, and we long for this church to be a place that hears well all things that have to do with the gospel, okay? So the truth is, we're each going to leave here and pursue knowledge in some way, okay? It could be technical information, it could be history, it could be politics, it could be fantasy football stats on ESPN.com. Where's Joe? And it could be that. So we're going to pursue knowledge. The question is how we're going to do that, okay? So we're going to dive into Proverbs 1-7, and I beg that you would hang with me and fight to understand this and how the God of the universe ought to alter and affect our pursuit and confidence in our knowledge. Jesus, uh, we are so, so easily swayed to depart from your word, to depart from your scripture, to depart from you, Holy Spirit, when it comes to learning. It's so easy in our day to just turn and walk away and come up with better ideas, what we think are better ideas. So I pray now that as we hear from the Proverbs, as we hear from from Solomon's words, that we might be shaped to be gospel-centered, Christ-exalting people who love to learn so that we might be more and more enamored with you and awed at who you are. We beg Jesus, give us that grace. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So we're going to deal with the first part of that, uh, at the be- and then we'll move on to the second half in a few minutes. So the first thing we've got to figure out, you guys heard it, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The first thing we've got to figure out is what is the fear of the Lord in this passage? What are we talking about? So when Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, what does that mean? Being scared is the beginning of knowledge? Um, that, that's probably the, the quickest reading. But the phrase, quite frankly, fear of the Lord is a little peculiar and could be a problem for us. So in, in the context of, of the Old Testament, two big things that fear of the Lord could be. One, fear of retribution. So basically a fear that God is near and overlooking every situation, all right? So, so God's here overlooking my every move, all right? He's watching, he's holy, and he will respond to sin and wrath. Okay, this type of fear of the Lord means that you act in holy ways simply because God's there. Maybe not because you love Him, but because you know there's an omnipresent God watching. Okay, this is the kind that would say, well, at least it would say when I was like a young Christian, it would say, now would you watch that movie? Would you watch that TV show if Jesus was sitting on the couch next to you? It's that kind of thing. So fear of retribution, like that God would sit there and go, bam, can you, did you really do that? So I'm not advocating that position, but something for us to think about. What I am saying, though, is that a fear of retribution is something familiar to our culture. Like we think about our, our uh, uh, judicial system or, or penal system, right? People know they're going to go to jail so they don't do things. Like, but they try to do them so they don't get caught. All right, so we don't do things in our culture, not because we see them as wrong, but because we don't want to get caught. All right, so that's kind of the fear of retribution thing going on. Um, the other types of the fear of the Lord can be two things. One, fear of retribution. Second, reverence. The other option there being reference. This type of fear of the Lord is more one of awe and respect of who God is. So God is a holy God. Um, he's, a, he's a just God. He's an omnipotent. He's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Um, so I have a reverence for that. So we see God as holy and respond to him with awe and obedience. Okay? In reality, I know those sound a little bit different. In reality, fear of ret- ret- retribution and reverence are really just extremes of the same thing. Okay? Fear of retribution can drive us towards reverence, and reverence can drive us to give us fear of retribution. So we need to see fear of the Lord right, though, today. That's going to be what we're going to try to get down to here. Um, but the problem with, he- with our fear of retribution, our fear of, of the Lord, is that we have a problem um, because we recoil at fear being a driving force in our lives. I, I think you guys would agree with that, right? We don't like to be told, like, you've got to do that, and I'm going to scare you if you don't do it right, right? We don't like being forced into things by, being, uh, by fear, okay? We see that as wrong. But we shouldn't be that way when we're talking about the Lord um, in whom we're fearing, okay? We're talking about a holy and living God here, not a sinful dictator, okay? Not, I mean, really, it's not like we're talking about Hitler putting fear in people. We're not talking about the mafia or the KGB or anybody instilling fear in people, okay? The Lord um, does not run to us. He does not overlook us looking to instill fear so that we'll do exactly what he wants for his own gain. Instead, as we learned a few weeks ago as Matt was preaching, he actually shapes us and disciplines us so that we might so that we might benefit of our own in, in partaking in his, the joy of being in a relationship with him, okay? So we shouldn't turn, the first thing I want to say is we shouldn't turn from a healthy fear of the Lord. There is such a thing as a healthy fear of the Lord. So instead of arguing against fear being a positive motivation, so when it says fear of the Lord, don't be repulsed. 
We need to be asking what a healthy fear of the Lord is. And for that, we're going to look at a biblical example. I'm going to flip over to Exodus 20. Real good example of fear of the Lord. So in Exodus 20, what's happening is the Ten Commandments are coming down. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses is there. All the people of Israel are there. They're... Anyway, the Ten Commandments are coming down, okay? A big thing. I won't read all of them, but it's the stuff. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods. And the other nine following that, okay? Now, if you read down to verse 18, you'll, you'll read this, okay? Now, when the people, when all the people saw the thunder... And the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. So you guys see that, right? So, so God's here. He's talking with Moses. The people see God in all the terror, see the, the storm cloud and all those things, all the lightning. And the sound of the trumpet, which this trumpet's scary, let's face it. Okay? And all these things are happening, and they're going, Moses, you go talk to him, dude. Like, seriously. You go talk to him, you come back to us. Send us a text message, something. Right? We don't want close to that. Okay? So they're fearful here, and they're wanting to move away from it. From it. But Moses says something that we need to hear today, particularly with our passage and what the fear of the Lord is. He says, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Do not fear, for, the God, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. So Moses is saying there that the reason God is here, the reason He actually looks the way He does right now, is so that you won't sin. It's not to scare you. It's not to force you into anything. It's so that you won't sin. And I think... That we need to realize that is a healthy, caring, loving action by God to generate obedience in us. Okay? So we need to know that and be okay with that. So no longer let's be repulsed by the fear of the Lord language, but instead let's see a healthy fear of the Lord as something that will keep us from sinning. A healthy fear of the Lord that will guarantee that we are beginning in the right posture concerning God. Okay? So two quick ways, um, just real quick, I'll, I'll detour real quick. Two quick ways we can maintain a healthy fear of the Lord. Um, there's plenty more, but here's two. So one, read the Old Testament too. Jesus is awesome to read about in the New Testament. I love it, don't get me wrong. Hang out in the Old Testament too, okay? There's a reason to be fearful sometimes when we're sinning, um, if we're not in Jesus, okay? Um, the Old Testament, beautiful to see God deal with sin, in ways that can be quite stirring to us and don't have to be, that can be that good, healthy fear. And the second way is to be in community. So I just want to add this. We talk a ton about community here, but I'm just going to say this, and I think a lot of you would agree. So every week when my soul care community gathers and we begin sharing our struggles and our joys, it's a good reminder to me that I don't get to do this life all alone. I don't get to do life based on, on the lie that nobody else sees what I do most clearly because there's guys in my soul care community that get to see what I do. And that kind of reminds me, not only to them, I'm not just accountable to them, I'm accountable to God. So the fact that they're sending me emails during the week to ask me how blank is going and are you doing this, are you doing that, are you not doing this, is a good, healthy thing. Okay? So those are just two quick ways we can maintain a healthy fear of the Lord. All right? And we all need a healthy fear of the Lord 
Um, and we need to actively work to cultivate that fear of the Lord, okay? Otherwise, we're going to think we're all alone. We're not going to see and realize that there's an omnipotent God hanging around, an omnipresent God hanging around us. But before we go any farther, I also need to mention um, this. So we're going to talk in just a moment about how fear of the Lord can, should be the beginning of knowledge, okay? And I also need to say this, because Matt illustrated this beautifully when he was talking about the track, okay? One thing the fear of the Lord is not is we don't start out paying attention to God and, pay, and, and being fearful and seeing God as present and, and not wanting us to sin and set our chart and forget, set our course and forget that, okay? Um, it's a common thing in our day for us to begin in one place with good intentions only to end up far from the gospel. And I think that's one thing we can see um, with the illustration of Harvard, okay? We can't be people that start off with good intentions, with a healthy fear of the Lord at step one and later find we're far from the gospel, Okay, we aren't allowed to start with fear of the Lord and end up wherever we want. It's a common, easy thing to do in our day. Okay, fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of the knowledge of, of our knowledge, but the end of it. Okay, wherever we are and whatever we are doing, we've got to be mindful of the fact that God pays attention and He's near. And nothing we do is going to escape His sight. So, it's a really easy thing, though. Um, to think that in the gaining of knowledge, we can begin with that and end elsewhere. So avoid it. Instead, we've always got to come back at every step, every time we go around the track, every time we, we loop around here, we have to go, hey, God, am, do, I, do I still have a fear of you? The fear of the Lord is not something you have today and forget about tomorrow. You don't get to dispose of the fear of the Lord and think that you're fine. So now we get to how can fear of the Lord be the beginning of knowledge, hope that we see. Fear of the Lord is just the fact that he's here, he's present, he longs for us to be obedient, and we ought to be fearful of who he is while still maintaining joy and assurance in Christ. So our motivations will be right if we have fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. You fear the Lord, you obey the Lord. Okay, no matter what way of proceeding is most appealing to us, obedience to the Lord will reign um, should our fear of the Lord be sincere. I'll just give you a quick example of this from this morning. So I'm, I'm teaching the Sunday school kids in there, and we weren't talking about this. We were talking about some other stuff, but I'm teaching the Sunday school kids in there. And one of them was kind of not really paying attention. He was kind of looking around and distracting others, right? Until so he saw his dad walk down the hallway. Then all of a sudden, things got real quiet. And uh, I said, you just saw your dad and you got scared, didn't you? He said, yeah. Um, anyway, so, so anyway, our motivations, we need that healthy fear, okay? Um, we're not, yeah, so our study and knowledge will get, this is point, point two here of how the fear of the Lord can be the beginning of knowledge. Our study and knowledge will get to the most basic yet profound levels and surpass the abilities of modern science should we keep fear of the Lord and God's word at the beginning, okay? The world and the universe and everything that was in it was spoken into existence by a holy God, okay? By the word of the Lord who spoke, the world was created, the earth was created, the universe was created, okay? So a proper fear of the Lord acknowledges this, okay? If God created it, he has a lot of say-so, right? And, and it was God's voice that did all of that. Now, 
The reason I say that this can be more basic and more foundational and perhaps uh, surpass the abilities of modern science is the fact that modern science generally discards this as a possibility. Okay? The problem with discarding God as the creator of all things is that he, in fact, did create all things. So, so unless, um, unless things are, have changed super recently, I've got to get my words right, um, science is still seeing quarks and leptons as the most foundational of all things. So beyond atoms, we used to think atoms were here, and then protons and neutrons. Well, now there's quarks and leptons. Um, so science hasn't been able to get beyond them, though, although I'm sure they will at some point. Yet the funny thing is that the Israelites got beyond that centuries ago when they just said God's creator, God created it all. So the most profound yet base, most basic answer to many of the questions of modern academia is simply that, that God is, is God and created. And so when God is excluded, we actually miss out on good answers to, to many academic questions. So if you want to be profound, have a fear of the Lord. Okay, if you want to be profound, take the Bible, take God as the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Additionally, to ignore the God of the universe as both the foundation and source of all knowledge is intellectually dishonest. So scholars can twist information to say any and everything they want, and they will. So don't be fooled. Academics are generally about action, Okay. And at least stirring people to action, okay? So even people that write books are trying to generate some kind of action, okay? But scholars fall short in their pursuit of answers when they're apart from Jesus. So isn't it insincere to go into research removing the foundation of all knowledge as a possible solution? It is. If you don't love Jesus in the Bible, you're very rarely going to get significant answers to significant problems. So I say all of that to tell you guys today that Christians may not be enlightened in the world's eyes, but we can be wise and possess the greatest knowledge ever, a saving knowledge of Christ, of Jesus. Okay, so take joy in that. If you believe the gospel, you hold something far more valuable than any diploma, any certification, or any test score that you could ever gain hold of. So let's be people that rest in that. Um, Even as we have our books, let's be people that rest in that, okay? And read, study, learn, but rest in the cross. Now, the second half of Proverbs 1.7 tells us fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, so what it's saying is that to not, to not love Jesus and conduct life as he is capable, uh, as if he's capable of retribution and, and willing to deliver wrath is foolish, okay? God is near. It says it right here simply. You don't realize, you don't have fear of the Lord It's foolishness, okay? He sees, he observes, he acts. Okay, knowing this, only fools will continue on proceeding in actions against God's holiness and against his desires. Fools will ignore his presence, will ignore his existence, and ignore his instruction. So do you see how one could be incredibly wise by the world's standards, yet yet be a fool? Like we're calling this series Fool Town, we're in a, one of the most educated places in the world. And yet you can see, you don't, know, you, you don't have fear of the Lord. You despise wisdom. You despise instruction. This is a fool town. Lots of degrees of fool town. Okay? 
it would be so easy to chase after the world's adoration and proclamation of our own wisdom, yet really be a fool. So here's a degree, here's an award. You're wise by the world's standards. But if you don't fear the Lord, you're walking in foolishness and disaster. And perhaps the best case study for that would simply be Satan. Um, So Jonathan Edwards said in one of his books, Satan is in fact the smartest and most intelligent blockhead in the universe. Um, Blockhead's not a paraphrase, part of the other is. But he knows more about God than than we can imagine, yet refuses to fear him. Okay, that's why I say that. Satan has chosen to worship himself and his desires above God. Okay, no one is more aware than Satan of God's omnipotence and majesty and holiness and, and all of his attributes, okay? But he has chosen time and again and will for all eternity, we know from Revelation, to oppose God and not to fear him at all. Okay, so again, the case study. Wise in the world standards, lots of intelligence, lots of knowledge does not equal not being foolish. And it's not brave or intellectually sophisticated to stand next to Satan and oppose fear of the Lord. It's, in fact, it's utterly stupid. So don't be like Satan. Don't be foolish. Fear the Lord. Now, earlier Matt read from Romans 1, and as he read that, oh, I should pick that up real quick. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. What, what this illustrates is just how we can become fools really quickly, okay? Was, so I, I just read it. God is clearly God. He's not to be missed in creation. It's what Paul is getting at there. Yet man openly ignores him. Satan openly ignores him, okay? Man then becomes ineffective in his thinking and his heart becomes darkened. Still, though, man claims to be wise but is really a fool. And this is exactly what we're reading in Proverbs today. Ultimately, the sequence leads to the exchange of the glory of the immortal God for, for images of man and birds and animals and snakes, which I think we would all agree is quite foolish. Followers of Christ will also be going against the grain in this, though. So at every point, we will be a challenge to put up your hands and battle with and for the Lord, okay? There's going to be lots of foolish people around. We must resist and fear God instead of fearing persecution or or not having adoration from others. We must be aware of fools and foolishness. And according to this verse, um, you've got to love the practicality of the Proverbs. According to this verse, it's actually quite simple for us to tell a fool. Because fools despise wisdom and instruction, both of which begin with God. So are we willing to analyze ourselves and those who we allow or grant authority to in our lives? Um, are we going to analyze ourselves and those people to see if wisdom is despised? Do my authorities, do your authorities despise wisdom? If so, foolish. Am I foolish? Do I fear the Lord? Is it a right and proper fear of the Lord that is the beginning of my knowledge? 
Some of us today simply need to hear that there is a Lord, okay? And that He ought to be feared because He spoke creation, all of it, quarks included, into creation, okay? Or into existence. He continues to preserve it and He can either be terribly loving for all eternity or terribly terrifying for all eternity. So I pray that if you're a person today who does not have a fear of the Lord, that you might let a newfound fear of Him drive you to great affections for what Jesus has done on the cross. Because He has atoned for the sin of His people. So fear can be healthy and not terrifying. And then most simply with this, this passage, um, probably the application here will probably be our best part of this whole thing. I think most specific part to us anyway. So I'll address it to certain people at certain instances, not names, but just categories. So we're here in Boston. We've got a number of academics. We've got people that are studying graduate school and and post-grad stuff. And so we need to ask these questions. Why are you studying? Why are you writing? Do you have academic ambition when you think, write, and teach? Or is your intellect more driven by fear of the Lord? It will be really, really easy in academic environments to give in to trendy or lofty ideas and clever things that end up in godlessness. The most sinful and godless of lectures and books would not have been given or written if the authors feared the Lord. So don't write that godless book. Don't pursue knowledge apart from the fear of the Lord. Okay? What do you fear more? Lack of acclaim and acceptance from the academy or the presence of the Lord. Don't be foolish, academics. Pursue knowledge, but do it with great fear of the Lord. Okay? Don't just know that, there, that God is there, like Satan does, and turn your back to Him. Instead, fear Him and serve Him. So we're also in a community where there's a lot of educators here. Um, to educators, I want to say your position of influence is great. There's a number of you that have long-term relationships with students and with parents, and you actually um, have great opportunity to influence people for, the, for Jesus and for their joy. And your calling is great. So the question, though, today is, how will you steward that? Okay? Now, I can't answer that question of what that might look like in everybody's a particular context, be it a classroom or an administrative office, okay, or a tutoring session, okay? I can't tell you what that's going to look like in your classroom or your context. But I can ask, are you forming your students to have great intellect alone? Okay, is your biggest concern the standardized test at the end of the year? Or are you concerned that your students have a healthy fear of the Lord? Do you care if they fear Jesus? Or are you concerned that they that they boast more in their ability to read classics and understand high-level math and history? Are your greatest aspirations for your students to know Jesus? When they leave your class, do your students fear the Lord? Okay, great education will not exclude a healthy fear of the Lord. If the Proverbs are right, and since it's God's Word, my money's there, okay, great education must include a fear of the Lord. In fact, it must do more than include it. It's got to begin and end with Jesus, okay? 
So how will that influence your curriculum? I, I really don't know. Um, actually, one of the most beautiful things would be if a bunch of educators from here started hanging out and you know, ended figuring these things out. Okay, that would be a beautiful thing. Um, fortunately, we serve a really gracious God um, who's provided a community of educators here. So we long for you guys to be working together and, and aligning yourselves with the Spirit that you might influence hundreds and hundreds of students for the gospel. It would be a beautiful thing. To parents, um, I want to encourage you today. So fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and a healthy fear of the Lord is perhaps the greatest gift you could give your child. Okay? Um, but beyond that, I want to tell you, it matters when you read Dr. Seuss books with your children. When you read Fancy Nancy, that's a book, I believe. When you read that, when you read that to your, your kids, and, and uh, yeah, it's contextualization. Um, when you read that to your kids... You're helping them learn, and that ultimately, one day, they're going to be able to read their Bibles and learn about Jesus, okay? So be encouraged with that stuff. I mean, and take a long view, okay? The idea is that they come to know a healthy fear of the Lord and come to worship Jesus, okay? So because you're willing to read Dr. Seuss with them, they're one day going to read the book of Job and stand in awe of the majesty of God at the end of that book, okay? Um, because you weren't teaching them two plus two, they're one day going to awe at the wonderful complexity that is upheld by the Word of God in high-level math. Okay? Um, You're in a unique position to give of yourself intellectually and spiritually to your children. So be encouraged because your love for and work with them will just... It's going to be great, okay? Um, It's going to be long-lasting. And it's going to make effects way downstream. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if you shepherd your children to that, everything else is going to work itself out. So regardless, you can count on this. Okay? Your children will not know a greater joy than knowing Christ. They're not going to know the greater joy in academics, however prestigious, than they will in knowing their Savior. So be encouraged and work towards that end. And to young students... Caleb, what's up, buddy? Joshua. Um, there's some more around here. They're hiding in the back because some of them knew I was going to talk to them. Um, more is at stake in the classroom than grades. Okay? Um, more is at stake with your homework than grades. God is having you learn to read and write and think so that you can read your Bible and understand it. All right? And so that you can have great joy and wisdom in Jesus one day. So it's a gift from God that you get to go to school. And it's a gift from God that you get to do your homework. Alright? It's about you learning so that you might read your Bible and rightly fear the Lord. Okay? And have joy a long, long time from now. Think about that joy, okay? Um, You need to fear God in the classroom and at home and at play so that you can honor and worship Him. Alright? So to all of us, though, we've got to fear the Lord, Seven Mile Road. That is the beginning and end of knowledge. Let us not be a foolish people that think we are smart but have no fear of God. If we don't begin with Him and if we don't end with Him, we'll surely give in to the allures of modern thinking and sinful thinking. But if we realize that He's Lord and that we are sinners in need of a Savior, in need of Jesus, we'll not only have eternity with the Lord and eternity with the Lord of the universe, 
but will also hold on to the single greatest knowledge and universe-shaping thing and truth of all time, that being the cross of Christ. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, I just pray that you would be shaping us to be a people that love you above all else. I pray that we wouldn't love academics, that we wouldn't love acclaim, that we wouldn't love applause from peers above you. And I pray, Jesus, that you might give us all a healthy fear of the Lord, one that, that allows us to know that you are here that you take sin seriously, but that you take salvation seriously too. So be working in us, God. Cause us to love you, love your word. Give us great affections for you, Jesus. We pray.